Hello everybody and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading I Needed a Neighbor by Patricia Sanjin with permission of Scripture Union Publications and we are on chapter 9. Tisva stumbled on through the bush. He had lost track of time and was only conscious of the sun blazing behind him in the morning and blazing ahead of him in the afternoon. When it scorched above him, he lost his bearings, spread his wife's cloak over the brushwood and lay down in the shade. At night he struggled on towards the warm glow that lingered in the sky long after sunset, and then he lay, lay down again. But some nights sleep was difficult because in spite of the hot weather he shivered so, sometimes burning and sometimes icy cold. I have caught the mosquito fever, he said to himself. I cannot go much further. But thirst drove him on, for in spite of this care he had nearly finished the contents of his water bottle, and what was left was warm and brackish. His food was all gone, but he had found ed edible leaves and roots, and he had eaten locusts and cicadas, and now the fever prevented him from feeling hungry. He could not remember how long he had been following the sun in the west. He thought it was probably about the third evening when he lay down and drank the last drops of water. He was too confused to worry much and soon fell into a troubled sleep, broken by strange dreams and nightmares. He seemed to be standing on a long road, pulled in two directions the misty figure of his dead wife pulling him backwards, and the living figures of his children pulling him forward. He awoke, sweating profusely, and he knew that he had slept much later than usual because the sun had risen behind him and was already flooding the morning landscape. He did not want to open his eyes and look. He had looked too long on scrub and thorn and, and stony hillocks, and apart from his thirst, he would gladly have turned back on that long road laid down with the, beside Muna and never opened his eyes again. But he did open them, and for a long time he did not move, for surely he was dreaming again. Also, fever played tricks on people's minds, and he refused to believe what he saw. But the sun, already hot, shone on his back, and that was real. His lips were parched and his body damp and heavy with the sweat of his swinging temperature, and that was real. But could that collection of little clay homesteads surrounded by small patches of green be real? He thought it must be a mirage of his tired brain, together with the shining strip of water beyond and the forest trees on the farther side. But as he lay gazing stupidly, unwilling to move in case the beautiful fantasy should dissolve, a woman came out of one of the houses with a pot on her shoulder and went down to the river. There was no mistaking the reality of the woman. He struggled to his feet and stumbled towards the first sign of life he had seen in four days. He called out to the woman, pleading for water, but she turned, frightened, and ran back into the house. A moment later, her husband appeared in the doorway, carrying a hoe. Tisva stood silent. If this was a government outpost, then his flight was over, and he would soon be back in camp to face criminal charges and probable death sentence. People had also talked of bandits who roamed the, the bush, and this man seemed unarmed, but that hoe in his hand could prove a formidable weapon. Then it seemed that fate took over. He had woken feeling cold and sick, and suddenly he started to shiver. His teeth chattered and his head reeled. He fell on the ground in a heap, conscious of nothing but his longing for warmth and water. The woman ran out with a little cry of compassion and knelt beside him. It is another of them, she said. He has escaped from the camp and has mosquito fever. I think you're right, said her husband, prodding him gently with his foot. We will carry him under the tree in his shade and give him water. Later he will talk. 
Tisva lay in the shade of the mango tree all day as the fever soared again and seemed to be burning him up. But it was a good day because there was water in abundance, safety, and kind human companionship. Every member of the little colony came and stared at him. One lad of about eight years old appointed himself guardian and sat beside him all day, fanning away the flies and holding a gourd of water to his lips. They brought him food, too, and Jera, lentils and mango fruit. He ate and drank ravenously, and by evening the fever had subsided, and he knew he would sleep well that night. He lay very still, and his whole body bathed in the coolness that came at sunset, watching the crimson reflected in the still waters of the river, and the small drifts of smoke rising from the cooking fires. And then in the twilight the man who had first seen him came and sat beside him. You have not far to go, he said abruptly. You are only a little way from the border. If you start early tomorrow, you will cross before tomorrow night. There you will be safe. Safe? questioned Tisva. It seems a strange word to use. Is there water and food on the, over the border? The man shrugged. Others have gone, he said, and they have not returned. They say there's a camp quite close if you follow the sun and travel west. There's another one further north, but they say it is a far away. There is water in some small tributaries of the great river. You are fortunate to have escaped. Two more came through yesterday, and they said others died in the brush fire. Tisva felt sorry. He would have liked to have traveled with these two, and he wondered who they were, who had lived and who had died. But they would probably have followed the sun in the direction of the westward camp, and he must go north, traveling towards his living children. He thanked the man for his hospitality and told him he would leave early in the morning. But he sighed, for after the camp in the bush, it seemed like leaving paradise. This looks like a new village, he said. Have you lived here long? The man growled. We are the displaced people, he said angrily. They took our homes and land for the rebels who bring in trunks and planes from the north. We go where we can, and we plant as we may, but we are far from others of our tribe, and the bush soil is stony. And also the river tributary is shallow, and many well may well dry up in the great heat. Then we too will have to cross the border. Do many pass through? Some. There are other camps besides the one from which you fled, but not many escape. Many try, but some are shot down, and some lose their way and die of hunger or thirst or heat stroke or snake bite in the bush. Some are recaptured, but still they try. Tisla smiled. He felt stronger, and the fever seemed to have left him. Those are they who, like myself, have left children at home, he said quietly. They draw you on. While they may live, you must travel towards them. My wife died in the bush, but she told me to go on. But what if they too have perished? Tisva shrugged, then let me perish too. What is there left to live for? But let me at least perish among my own people. There seemed no more to say. It had all been said long ago, and the future was a gray mist. The man went to his hut and came back with a tattered blanket, which he laid over his guest and told him to sleep. Tisva was left staring across the shallow river, which must dry up soon, to the fringe of trees beyond and black against the west. He would sleep for a time and then rise up and travel straight ahead by moonlight, guided by the setting stars. He must lose no time, for tomorrow the fever would return, and he would have to rest. But not for long, for he was not far from the border. He must travel north and further north, following the great river. One day he would turn east and across the border again. 
The merciful rains would fall, and the great mountains would storm the clouds. A veil of green would fall over the parched land. His children would come running to meet him. But only in sleep could one escape like that from the chains of reason and common sense. For this was a dream. Tomorrow we'll be reading chapter 10. And I love you. I'm praying for you. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.